going to look at some uh, various scriptures uh, on today for the message. I want to talk today from this very simple thought and something that I hope uh, ministers to your heart on today. Uh, And it is this, uh, experiencing the fullness of Christ. We want to look at today the life of Peter. We've been studying the epistle of First Peter over the last few months and uh, really seeing us go through this. But today in our All About Him uh, um, message, uh, we want to study the uh, life of Peter. We want to look at how did Peter really experience the fullness of Christ. And if we're going to make our lives all about him, We need to know how it is to experience and what it is to experience the fullness of Christ. Now, it's come to my attention and my thoughts as I, you know, kind of survey modern culture that maybe the greatest challenge that Christians face today is this ideal of living our faith in a world that's diametrically opposed to God, a world that's opposed to faith, and a world that is opposed to the practice of our faith. We might have known in America that People were opposed to God. Could have known that for several years now, maybe maybe a long time. We might have even known that that there are many, many people in America that don't do not express or resonate with the idea of faith. But what is relatively new, I believe, is this idea that people will be directly opposed to you because you practice your faith. Faith in the public arena is now taboo. Amen. Just look at our world. Look at what happens when people of faith stand up and identify themselves as People of faith, you are ostracized, you are criticized, you are labeled as unloving and intolerant as if the only thing that Christianity has to offer this world is to tell people only about their sin. Well, that's not all Christianity has to offer. Because unlike other religions, we don't just uh, tell people that uh, we are sinners or that we're all born sinners. We also tell people that there's a remedy for our sin, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. But this, is, this, this, this dynamic of living in this, in this circumstance, it, is, it, is, it brings with it a sort of weariness. That seems to haunt believers, a a sort of heaviness that seems so close to us on a daily basis, especially when we take that stand 
of the truth of God's word. Many believers find it easier in this world, in this culture, to just be silent. Amen? Who wants to argue? Who wants to always be the one that raises the issue that there is a moral standard, that there is a guideline, that there is a God that makes requirements of his people. Who wants to be that person all the time? So you know what? Many of us are silent. And I'm going to tell you this. In the, in the, in the interest of transparency here, there have been times when, when I never wanted to be that guy. There have been times when I know I should have spoken up, but I was silent. I didn't say a word. I didn't, I didn't give a, 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 a reason for God. I didn't speak up for the truth. There were times in my life that I just didn't want to deal with everything that came with that. didn't want to speak up I didn't want to talk and I found it feeling like it was easier just to be quiet and that's why I I believe it's important to understand today that that God provides a protection for his children but we must make ourselves available to that protection you know, a, a home alarm system does no good if it is never installed. Amen? A home alarm system does no good if you don't set the alarm. You have to avail yourself to the protection that, that it provides. And it's the same with God. We must take full advantage of his protection. Now, this protection lies in the fact that we can experience the fullness of Christ by resting our lives and our hopes upon him. Upon this rock, we rest our lives and our hopes. Upon Christ and who he is, our life begins to settle and take root. And foundation is always about Jesus. And two or three people believe that today. And, and the life of the Apostle Peter illustrates the maturation from a man that met Christ to a man whose life is consecrated to Christ. Peter sets a good example for us because he was not the immediately mature, sold out for God, super believer. Amen. We've all met some of those. Amen. That's right. Come on. Just throw your hand up real fast if you know somebody, right? That, I mean, just, it seemed like the moment they got saved, they were sold out 100%. I mean, they went and they cleaned their house out of all the, all the ungodly stuff. They got all these things out of that, and it was right away that they committed to the Lord. Some of us would not like that. Oh, come on. You guys to say amen right there. That's, some of us weren't the immediate guy to go back and, and, and get rid of everything that was from our old life. 
Some of us had some vestiges of the old life that just hung around way past their shelf life, amen, (laughs) way too long. But these vestiges hung around, and Peter was the real dude. He was the real guy. He was the real person who, who we can chart his progression and his maturity as he went from this man that met Christ to a man whose life was consecrated by Christ. Peter (coughs) was a simple fisherman, a guy who had normal life issues, yet found his supreme worth, (coughs) his supreme value in loving Christ. He found his worth in living in him. And ultimately, he found supreme joy in dying for Christ. Many of you may not know this, but Peter was crucified. And he, and he said these things. He said, I want to be crucified upside down. Now, this is somebody that really loves Jesus. I am not worthy to even die in the manner by which my Savior died. So turn me upside down and crucify me. So he, he, was, he was somebody that is evident that grew in maturity by answering the call of Christ at various points in his life. He walked sometimes very reluctantly. He walked reluctantly sometimes into a deeper relationship with Christ until that moment when Christ had all of him. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, here's the thing. Does this sound familiar to you? Does it sound familiar to you in your life that you are walking, thank you, that you are walking to a, a place where, where you can see that Christ has more of you today than he had yesterday. He has more of you now than he had last year. He has more of you now than he had five years ago. You, but, but there's been some reluctance. been some some things along that walk that you were reluctant to part with does that sound familiar to you there there's some things you just didn't want to give up amen I know nobody wants to tell truth in here today on that one but there's some things that we just did not wish to part with and here was Christ here's Christ calling you calling you loudly calling you boldly to give those things up, calling you to this deeper walk with him. So I ask you the question today as we look at the life of Peter, I want you to consider this. Does Christ have all of you? Or does he simply have what you want others to know that he has? Amen. See, on Sunday morning, I can look like Christ has all of me. Amen. But but is that all that he's calling us to? Isn't he calling us to this deep strength of, of, of his presence that infuses our very character so that when no one is around, Christ is still everything to us. 
That's, that's, what, that's what he's calling us to. And so, and so I ask you, think about that. How, how does Christ get all of me? And I surmise that as we visit Scripture, there are at least four illustrative pa- passages here that lead us to discover how Peter grew to give all of himself to Christ. And here's the first thing that, that God called him to. Peter had a call to change direction. The first call that went into his life was a call to change direction. Everybody say change direction. See, we, 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 we've got this. Look, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 through 20. <clears throat> After Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he begins his ministry on earth in earnest. It, he, he ramps it up. He's at this victory over the devil in, in the wilderness. He's, he's told the devil what to do with himself, so to speak. Amen. And the Bible says, Matthew tells us, from that time, from the time Jesus began, uh, had said no to the devil, from that time he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew goes on to describe that while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he ran across two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, they were casting their nets into the sea because he, they were fishermen. And Jesus says something that changes the dynamic of their lives. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now watch this. You will still use the gifts and ideals and techniques that you have learned when you were fishing for fish. Amen. Watch this. But your directive is no longer to fish for fish. You are now going to fish for souls. Now, in order to do this, you... you you're going to have to still cast out your net. In order to do this, you're going to have to launch out into deep water with people's lives. In order to do this, you're going to still have to have the patience of a fisherman. See, how many fishermen I got in here? Just throw your hand up if you're a fisherman. You've been there. See, you're a fisherman. You don't catch everything when you first throw the bait in the water. When you first hit that lure in the water, you don't catch fish. Sometimes you must wait. And you have to wait patiently. Sometimes you you find yourself drifting off into your thoughts as you're waiting on the fish to bite. Matter of fact, somebody had a song say, I'm out here fighting and the fish ain't biting. (laughs) And and so you you have to find yourself patient to be a fisherman. So Jesus says to him, I'm calling you not to give up on the gifts that you've been using. I'm calling you to change the direction of those gifts, change the angle. You're no longer casting your line into the waters of the Sea of Galilee, but you're casting your line into the waters of this world to pull out people who are lost and on their way to hell. And so he says, follow me. Now, interesting thing happens. 
in this first call on Peter's life, his first call on his life. Here he was a fisherman. It was a business. He was likely making money at it. He might have been making pretty good money. And, and Christ says to him, follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what does he do? It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's a powerful call. But let me tell you something. Think back to when you first met Christ. When you first met him, the dynamic that, that really formed the basis of your walk with him was that initial call to say, you've got to change your direction. The way in which you've been going is not the way in which you should be going. So what does Christ do? He calls you to walk in a different way. So he says, you've got to change your direction. The Lord's call in our lives is always to go in a new direction. And this is even if your current direction seems right. There was nothing wrong with being a fisherman. It was an honest living. It wasn't sinful. It's just that God had a new direction for Peter because God wanted to use him in such a way that he would change the world. How many times, yeah, that's a praiseworthy moment. How many times do we miss the opportunity to change the dynamics of those around us because we feel like where we are is good enough? Amen. Amen. I don't have to do more. I'm doing enough. I'm not a bad person. I don't, I don't, I don't do things that other bad people do. I simply want to live my life and be left alone. Just let me chill. Let me do what I do. Stay out of my business. God says, I've got a new direction that I want to take your life. I've got a new call for you, and it's going to call for you to, to change your direction. So Peter had to change his direction. Now, the second call here on Peter's life, the second call is the call to choose faith over fear. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, choose faith over fear. Watch this now. In Matthew 14, Verse 25, we have an interesting dynamic that happens. Jesus, as the disciples were out in the boat, comes to them walking on the water. All right, that, that would mess you up. Don't act like it wouldn't. Don't act like you would. We laugh about, oh, yeah, walking on water, huh? You think you walk on water. If you saw somebody walking on water, huh? <clears throat> that would mess, I know it messed me up. I'm just saying. I, I haven't risen to the level of holiness where I could just, you know, just, just immediately be, oh, that's cool. You're walking on water. I'd be more like, people can't walk on water. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where they were. The Bible says that they saw him walking on the sea and when they saw him, they were terrified. 
Now, I know y'all pretty cool, you know, y'all. Bunch of folks in here got it all together today, right? If you saw that, it would terrify you. Pastor Ray came in here walking on water. What? I'm leaving this church. <laughs> Get up this early in the morning to be frightened. <clears throat> and here's what they said. They said it was a ghost. A ghost. They went to the paranormal and cried out in fear. But look at what Jesus says. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. <clears throat> now, understand that. It is I, do not be afraid. He says that right away. When he said that, that was immediately the word of God, right? Right? It's I, don't be afraid. And you got to love what Peter does here in verse 28. Peter answered him, after I already told you it's me. <laughs> Look at what Peter says. He says, Lord, if it is you. Now, I just told you it was me. But what is Peter's answer? Lord, if it, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. If it's you. I know you said it was you. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? See, a lot of us right there in our prayers get messed up. God says, God starts telling us to do something, and we start saying, well, Lord, if that's really you, I need a sign. Oh, let me help you here. Let me help somebody. Lord, give me a sign if it's, if it's really God. says, go out and win souls. Lord, if it's you, if you really want me to win souls, bring me a couple souls my way that need winning. Huh? If it is you... If it's really you, I know you just said it was you. Then I'll tell you what. Command me. And I love, I love how he words that. Command me. Now, what, what I really think in Peter's mind is, Peter wanted to see if he could walk on water. But he put this in such a way. He says, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus, knowing what's in Peter's heart, Jesus said, well, come on. You bad. <laughs> you know, you missed the big stuff among the disciples. You know, you're the one, you're the one trying to act like you're not scared. <laughs> you're trying to act like walking on water is an everyday occurrence. Like it's no real big thing. So you're saying, if it's really me, come to water. So Jesus said, well, come on, player, come on. Get on out the boat with your bad self. Come on. And, and, and Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now watch this. At that moment, faith and belief on some level was operating in Peter's life. See, for you as a believer, there is a moment when you trust God with everything and you do what God says do. But watch this now. 
that moment of faith turned to fear. And, and what, I, what I like about the way Matthew gives us this story is that he does not say that Peter was afraid of walking on water. Now, if anything would have got me, Brother Davis, it would have been that I'm afraid I can't walk on water. I, wait, a, wait a minute. I am literally walking on water. That ain't good. But that's not what he was afraid of. The Bible says, but when he saw the wind. Now watch this. How many of you ever really seen the wind? We hear the wind. We feel the wind. But we don't generally see the wind. But the scripture here says that he saw the wind. What does Matthew tell us? He sees the effects of the storm. Watch this now. You may not see the storm in your life, but you can feel the effects of the storm that rages in your life. He saw the wind. He saw, how did he see the wind? He saw them waves white capping. He felt the, 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 breeze, the wind blowing. He may have heard the howling of the sea of Galilee. He felt all of the power and effect of the wind. And he did not fear walking on water, but he was afraid of a wind he couldn't see. Somebody going to get this today. You're not afraid to be a Christian. You're afraid of an enemy you can't see. Oh, come on here, somebody. The people that come up to you and tell you they don't like you, you can handle them. But it's those that smile in your face. Huh? It's those that pretend to be on your team. It's those that pretend to be down with you. It's those that are hard to deal with. Because you can't see the, that they're an enemy. And we fear that which we cannot see. And so Peter couldn't see the wind, but he was afraid. And at the moment of that fear, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. At one point, he had chosen this enormous faith to get out of the boat and to walk on water. But here he was. Not afraid of walking on water, but afraid of wind. Now, why is that? As a fisherman, no doubt Peter was aware of what a windstorm on a sea could do. As a fisherman, no doubt he had some past experience. Now, let me tell you, here's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He wants to use that past experience that, that created difficulty in your life and make you afraid to trust God with everything. So he says, remember when you used to be? That's the wind. 
Remember, remember what happened, who you used to be? That's, that's the win. You, you get afraid because you start thinking about the experiences before you met Jesus and you realize that, that you can't walk on water. You realize that, that, that fear then begins to grip your life. And when fear grips your life, you go from here to here. You sink. And that's what happened to Peter. He looked at Jesus, but he feared the wind. And the Bible says he began to sink. And, and when they got into the boat, what Jesus said to him, he reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't say, oh, you of no faith, because it took a lot of faith to get out that boat. Do I have a witness there? Huh? See, everybody in the boat right now ought to be clapping, because I'm going to tell you, you ain't got out your boat yet. You ought to clap for people who really did get out of their boat. You ought to clap for people who got out their boat and really trusted God. It was 11 of us. Watch this now. That were in the boat. It was 11 others whispering, talking about, what's wrong with Peter? <laughs> we all knew he was kind of nuts. We all knew he was crazy, but, but really, what, 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 what's wrong with him? He, he is, he going to get out this boat. Anybody with half a brain know that if you're in the water, it's better to be in the boat than out the boat. Amen. Especially during a, a stormy weather or wind windstorm. It's better to be in the boat than out the boat. They looked at Peter and said, oh, he's getting out. He's going to get out for real, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, every time you, watch this, it's going to set somebody free right now. Every time you get out your boat, it's 11 or 12 other people talking about you for getting out your boat. You got to not look at them and keep your eye focused on Jesus. And when he and Jesus got back in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped Jesus saying, truly, you are the son of God. There comes a time in every believer's life when the choice between faith and fear is present before us. And so God is calling us always to choose faith. Now, the third call that happened in Peter's life was the call of person and purpose as it relates to Christ. The person of Christ and the purpose of Christ. Now, let me tell you what we identify with very easily. We identify with the person of Christ. We, as believers, we identify with who Jesus is. Now, watch this. In Matthew 16, 13 through 17, what we see is Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples an interesting question. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so the, Jesus was asking a question about the person. Who do people say that I am? And then he looks at them. And he said, and I can imagine if I could just use a little license here, after spending all this time with you, after you seeing me walk on water, 
after you saying that I'm God and you worship me after I walked on water and got back in the boat, after you saw all of this, who do you say that I am? And Peter. Once again, 11 silent. One speaks. And Peter said this. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a marvelous and great declaration of the person of Jesus Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. You are the deliverer. You are the son of the living God. Jesus, recognizing where that came from, says, Peter, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has chosen this moment and you as a vessel to speak this truth about who I am. Look, saints, let me tell you something. Every believer in here, you have been chosen by the almighty God to speak this same truth about who Jesus is. Peter gave up this intellectual gem. Jesus is the Christ. When you go to verse 21, here's something interesting that happened. Right after this, verse 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. Right in verse 22, this dude that had said a few verses ago that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, proves that he understood the person, but he didn't understand the purpose. A lot of believers are stuck right there. We want the person of Jesus. Oh, yes. You're Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I want to worship you. But do you understand his purpose? Let me tell you why purpose is so important. Peter took Jesus aside and said, come here, come here, Jesus. Wait a minute, wait a minute, come here. And, the, and Matthew says that Peter had the audacity to rebuke the Lord. <laughs> See, you can't think on your worst day and you're going to be tough enough to rebuke the Lord, right? <laughs> Again, 11 silent. <laughs> One of them could have been speaking for what all of them was kind of feeling. What you mean you're going to die? What you mean that the chief priests, because they understood this, that if they're going to kill you, we might be in trouble. <laughs> we, we, we run with you, Jesus. We're, we're, in, we're, a part, we're on team Jesus here. And you're telling me that they're going to kill you? And if they kill you, what's, what's going to happen to us? 
That's human nature. So G Peter says this. He rebukes that. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Not you. Not the son of the living God. Not the Christ. And that statement proves right there that he didn't understand what being the Christ was all about. Now watch this. As believers, we too struggle with what being the Christ is all about. Because if the Christ is in you, if Jesus is in you, if he has all of you, then guess what? He not only deposits his person in you, but he, he deposits his purpose. That's going to catch up with you when you get home. You, you, you don't just relate to the person of Christ. You've got to relate to the purpose of Christ. And what is the purpose of Christ? He says, I have come to seek and to save those which are lost. I'm not here for people who are well. I'm here for the sick. One of the greatest indictments of the modern church is we spend too much time with well people. We want to hang out with all well people. Let one of us get sick in here. I'm talking about sin sick. I'm not talking about physically ill because we'll come pray for you, bring you some dinner and all that kind of stuff. But let the bottom fall out of somebody's life in here. You'll, you'll see how we, how we deal with the sick. We don't like dealing with the sick. The sick are messy. The sick have problems. The sick might get some of this stuff on us. We don't want to be bothered with people whose lives are not meeting our standard. But Jesus says, my purpose is to go directly to the people whose lives don't meet the standard of the day. Those people who are sick, those people that are lost, those people that need help, that's where I'm going. That's my purpose. Look, his purpose was not to create a class of religious people. Huh? We, we, Jesus is not to here to create a class of religious people that feel good about coming to church on a Sunday morning. That's not what his purpose is. His purpose is to completely transform your life so that you can help transform somebody else's. Amen. That was not a feel-good moment. But I want you to understand that being a Christian is not just full of these feel-good moments when we gather in the house of the Lord. It's not about just the gathering. It's about the going. What do you learn from the gathering? You got to learn how to go better. You got to learn how to go more. Go when you're tired. Go be real. Go be authentic. Go tell somebody about Jesus and what he has done. So he said, Lord, this ain't going to happen to you. Not you. You got us 12. We your personal protection detail. You better than the president. You got secret service around you. Nobody's going to bother you when you with us because Peter thought everything about Christ's purpose was about what this world was about, what this world could do. And what does Jesus say? 
to a man he just blessed for understanding the person. He basically, I, I, no, Jesus would never cuss. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me get that right. He went from blessing him to blessing him out. How about that? That's a, <laughs> I, I, I just blessed and told how blessed you were because you said I was a Christ, but I got to bless you out now. And I got to tell you, get behind me, Satan. For where you was a blessing a minute ago, you're now a hindrance. Look at that word, hindrance. When you pursue only the person of Christ, you are a hindrance to the purpose of Christ. That, look, let me make it plain because y'all, some of y'all still ain't getting this. Let me make it plain. What that means is if all you want to do is connect to the blessings of Jesus... And, and you don't do anything about the purpose of Christ, that is, share the gospel with the world, guess what? Your silence is a hindrance. And some of y'all didn't come here for that today, I can tell. You come here telling me I'm a hindrance. I put good money in this church. I <laughs> it's not about your dollars. It's about your doing. It's not about your money. It's about your moving. What are you doing to advance the purpose of Christ? And if you're not doing anything, you say, well, I'm not hurting nobody. I'm taking care of me. You're a hindrance. Let me tell you why you're a hindrance. Because you got the nerve to go to work and talk about how saved you are. You know, just in them moments, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't eat that. I'm fasting. I want the world to know that I'm fasting. And everybody here know that I'm fasting. And I'm, I'm holy. And look at me. I'm fasting. Did I tell you I was fasting? I'm fasting. <laughs> but your coworker are dying and going to hell because you could talk about your fasting but you can't share the gospel I wish I had somebody here see your fasting ain't never brought nobody to Jesus I wish I had somebody here while you bragging on how holy you are that doesn't bring people to Jesus what brings them to Jesus is bragging on the glory of Christ and who he is because he is truly everything Jesus said, get behind me, man. You're a hindrance. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but things of man. Peter knew the person, but he didn't get the purpose at this point. It hadn't resonated in him. To fully experience Christ, let his person and purpose reside deep in our heart and our mind. The last thing I want to tell you, and we're done. The call to consecrate and to commit. So we looked at these three calls so far that God had on the life of Peter. There's a last call, and it's a call to consecrate and commit. You, you, can know, you can know all these other things. You can know all of these other things. You can get the call to change direction, choosing faith over fear, call a person and purpose. But if you don't get this, you will find yourself 
in a conundrum where you purport to be a Christian, but the living as a Christian is not visible. People won't see it. When you stuck with those three and not this last one, that's why they call us hypocrites. Because the trueness of this relationship with Christ is just not this intellectual assent to who he is. It is more than all of that. Here he is, he says this in John chapter 6. And one of the, the interesting things is that in John 6 and 66, 666, look at what John 666 says. I didn't make that up. That's <laughs> it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After you find out how challenging, how difficult, how committed you have to be to live as a Christian in an unholy world. For some of us, that's too hard. Some of us, and I know ain't nobody in here because I wouldn't. <laughs> some of them, <laughs> some of us, some of us pull back. When I was first starting as a pastor, an old preacher told me, he said, look here, young man. He said, let me tell you about people. He said, there'll be people, think of yourself as driving a wagon along a country road. He said, there'll be people that will always be in the wagon, no matter what. Rough road, broken wheels, they're going to be in the wagon. He said, there are people that like to go alongside the wagon, and when things are well, they hop in the wagon. But at the first sign of difficulty, they hop out the wagon. He said, now, there are also going to be people that think they know more than God, and they go ahead of the wagon. He said, then there are going to be some that are going to be behind the wagon talking about the folks that's in the wagon. That's the best wisdom I've ever received as a pastor. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because that describes the church. We have people... That when times get rough, they hop out the wagon. And so here Jesus was describing what the, what the future was going to be like as one of his followers. And they was like, I didn't sign up for that. Are you kidding? Don't you think for a minute that I'm going to be going through all of that? I, I thought this was just about dressing up on Sunday, coming to church, get my praise on, do a little praise dancing and shouting and dancing and clapping and singing and listen to the preacher talk for a few minutes. And if you talk too long, I'm going to get up and leave on him. But, I, but, but, but it, I, that's what I thought this was about. <laughs> I, I didn't have no idea that you literally wanted me to sacrifice my life. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, I like me. <laughs> I like living. I, I, I paid too much money for this house to be talking about, I got to sacrifice my life. I'm not getting fired for you, Jesus, or nobody else. Now, see, you'll never say that out loud. Huh? 
But what happens when the rubber meets the road, when the road gets rough, when it comes a point in time when you have to take that stand in the world? Listen, there was a college professor that wrote an op-ed piece, not under her college email or anything like that, wrote it, say, stating up front, I'm a college professor and my college doesn't agree with what I'm about to say, but, but I'm, not, I'm not in favor of same-gender marriage. A college professor. She got back to work. You talking about with a quickness? They had taken her name, played off the door, changed the locks, and told her, you fired. Because you don't support same-gender marriage. Fired! Your 401k, whatever you got in it, you better take it with you. Your, your tenure, gone. Fired! Because you have the temerity to stand up and, and state what you believe as a Christian. Some of us can't take that. We, we, we in John 666. After this. <laughs> so verse 67 says this. So here's what Jesus does, and we've been finishing just a minute. Jesus says, so you 12, my homies, ones that's been with me through all this, do you want to walk away as well? Peter, 11 silent, <laughs> right? Didn't say Matthew spoke up. Didn't say Andrew said anything. Peter says this, Lord, and I love this, to whom shall we go? We don't have anybody that's like you. We don't have any place to go but to be with you. He says, to whom shall we? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. I am willing to consecrate and to commit my life to Jesus because he has the words of eternal life. Peter realized right in that moment that this life wasn't everything, that there was a life to come. If you're vesting all you have in this life, in the way you look, the way you dress, the money you make, the house you live in, the car you drive, the wife or husband you marry, your bank account, all of, if you vest in that alone, my Lord says, you have your reward. But there is another life, an eternal life. You will spend eternity somewhere either with Christ or in hell and Peter says we believe and have come to know that you are the holy one of God Peter had come to this place of consecration and commitment 
Consecration and commitment. Let me tell you this. Because there's some of you right now thinking, I can never get there because I'm not perfect. Consecration and commitment is not the same as perfection. Peter wasn't perfect. Think about the things that had not yet happened in Peter's life when he said these words. He had not yet denied Christ. He was still heading for denial. He had not yet been convicted of his denial and wept bitterly. That had not happened. He had not yet withdrawn from the Gentiles and started hanging out with the Jews again uh, uh, because the, the Judaizing and Christians was coming to town. That hadn't happened yet. So if you, if you understand this, consecration and commitment doesn't mean perfection. You own a journey that if you're willing to consecrate yourself and commit yourself fully to God, yes, there will be times when you mess up. But the beauty of this is knowing that I can go to my Father in heaven and repent of my sin. And when he looks at my sin, he sees the blood of Jesus that has paid the price on Calvary for me and all who would believe. So Peter says this, because of this consecration and commitment, in 1 Peter 4 and 11, he writes these words that we've talked about already. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him. To him. Not to the church. Not to me. Not to any other leader. Not to your friends. Not to your loved ones. Not to your gifts. Not to your talents. But to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.